two real life stories of people who asked Jesus for help, who asked in a very special way, because sometimes, like, you didn't see it coming. In one case, like, it's a woman who just didn't see the, anything coming, but she was there in front of Jesus, and her plea for help wasn't even with words, it was with the situation that she was in. And then there was another, there's another case of, like, two guys seeing Jesus, and they're, they're proclaiming, like, I need help, I need help, shouting it out. We look at these real life stories, things that really happen. And how Jesus approached them to show us how God approaches us. And how he invites us to approach him. So this morning, if you'll pull out your outline, which uh, actually it says the scoop on the front. If you'll open that up, you'll see your outline inside. It'll help you follow along this morning as we talk about how do we approach God? What do we approach God about? What do we need? Because if you ever felt like you messed up and you, you couldn't get it right, or you ever felt like I'm in over my head, or you ever felt like I just... I can't get better, I can't, I'm sick or I'm down and I, I can't get better, then you will relate to the two stories that we're going to talk this morning and the two subjects we're going to talk about this morning and forgiveness and healing. So let's talk about the first one that I pray because I need forgiveness. It's the first reason we come to God often is I need forgiveness. I need to be able to ask God for something I've done. I'm a man that was really messed up. I need forgiveness for it. Now, John, um, who is one of Jesus' friends and followers, wrote a whole book in the Bible called John, and his whole point of writing the book over and over was, listen, Jesus is God. Jesus does have the authority to, to heal, but he also has the authority to forgive. And so he would tell stories over and over about, like, this, this is, he's the real deal. He's not just some good guy or good teacher. He's actually God in the flesh showing you what the Father is really like. And that's his point throughout all of his stories. And so he tells this story in John chapter 8. And I think when he was telling it, the reason he told it, the reason it, it was in his memories that I need to tell the story to him, was because of someone who desperately needed something that owed me Jesus. So we're going to pick up that story right there this morning. It's found in John chapter 8, verses 3 through 9. It says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Okay, now, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, these are guys who are very religious, very good people. Okay, so if you can picture in your mind the people who are like, you know, investments, and they kind of got their act together, and as far as everybody else is concerned, like, these are the guys who, like, yeah, they don't really need forgiveness. Like, they got their act together, everything's going well, and they have moral authority in that culture, and so they made, they, they brought this woman, okay, and she's caught in adultery. You're Ever felt that moment where you've been caught red-handed? You know, by like so, like you were in school, like when you were doing something and you thought you were being sneaky and you were totally caught red-handed. You were like, oh no. That moment that like maybe you're you're being sarcastic or you're talking about someone and it's that like they're behind you, aren't they? Right? Like and you're like, oh no, like I'm caught red-handed. You, you know that feeling? Okay, this is this woman only for her. There is something going on especially dreadful because in this society, adultery comes with a capital punishment. There's something, this is not like, oh, I'm embarrassed. This is like there is a consequence here that is devastating. So they bring her before the group and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And they were using the question as a trap in order for a basis of accusing him. And so they're waiting. They, see, they, they've been watching Jesus. 
right? They see that Jesus isn't really into condemning people all the time. He's into setting them free to actually have a relationship with God. He already knows that they can't be taller. They, they see him eat with sinners and tax collectors and people that they don't think you should associate. They said, this guy hangs with the wrong people and then tries to empower them to live the right kind of life. We don't like that. And so they're bringing this woman before me like, hmm, this isn't good. So they, they keep questioning. So, so here's what happens. So they bring it to the trap for basically accusing. And what does Jesus do? He bends down in the dirt and he begins to write on the ground with his finger. And they keep questioning. But he's bent down. We don't really know what Jesus is writing. There's no record of when Jesus bent down on the ground, what he was writing. But you know, think of the crowd. He's bent down on the ground and he's writing. And there's a sea of people around him made up of particularly religious people. People who think they're just generally pretty good people. Like, no, I'm pretty good. I kind of, I've, been, I've been following the right rules. I've been going to church. I've been, I got it all together. And he's writing in the ground. So what is he writing? What, what's going on? Like, what, to just stir and stir, just like doodling? Like, so they keep on questioning him. And he straightens up and he says to them, let any one of you who is without sin be cursed to throw, throw a stone at Then he again, he does it again, right? He just makes this bold statement in front of him and he does it again. It's down the ground into the right. Now, I don't know what it was right, but here, here's some theories. What if you're in the crowd and you're one of those good people? You know what I mean, right? Like, you've certainly been one of those good people before where you found yourself judging someone else. Like, I can't believe they did that. I would never, without believe they did that. Right? You've been one of those good people where certainly where you've like, you know, you know you've done some wrong things, but you've got a scale in your mind of yes, but I'm not like Hannibal Lecter, right? Like so I'm generally pretty good. I'm not a murderer. Like, like you've got a scale, right? So you so you've been in that crowd, right? Where you've been like, I'm not, I'm not that bad. Written in the ground. And imagine yourself standing there as Jesus maybe writes your name. And all of a sudden you have this overwhelming feeling of moment. Like, does he know? Does he know what I, that thing that I hope no one ever finds out? Does he know? Or maybe he's just writing laws in the ground. Things that were in the law of Moses that Every one of them knew I broke that law. Broke that law. Broke that law. So when he straightens up and he tells them, you're without some, go ahead and throw the first stone. Here's what happens. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Because those of you who don't have the, the gift of age, like, the older you get, I'm in my 40s now, so here's what I will tell you. The older I've gotten, the less convinced I am that I'm good. Right? Like, I just, I have too much evidence to the contrary that I'm just a naturally good person. Right? There's, there's too many situations in my life that I have messed up to be able to say, like, no, I've, I, I've not been good all my life. There's plenty of places I've messed up. Like, just, you get so this older people, first they, they start leaving until Jesus was the only one left. The woman standing there. No one's left. 
And we, we're all asking, like, but these were good people. They were, they were good people. They had it all together. I mean, at least they were better than most. And Jesus makes this one challenge. You see this woman's sin, and you've condemned her. You've judged her. You said, oh, she's guilty. But stop for a minute and look at your own person. Stop for a moment and say, okay, am I worthy to make this judgment? Can I really say that I am without sin? Look for the And when you do, you'll be surprised. And what surprises us most about the story is that, at least for me, in this story, I find a surprising fact that Jesus did this all the time. Instead of coming, we think, hey, Jesus is coming easy. Well, we usually think of Jesus, don't we think? Nice guy, good guy. Like, like he bridged this gap for us. If God's not the angry God, the finger pointing, like, like he did all of these things for us. And so what's most surprising to me is that when Jesus came, instead of lowering the bar on sin and saying, look, it's okay, you can come in, he actually raises it. He does this all the time. He says, he says, oh, you want to talk about adultery? Oh, so adultery is not about just committing the act of adultery. Adultery is if you have lust, if you want to be with someone else other than your spouse, you have then committed adultery. And everyone in the crowd goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just, see, sin isn't what you do. Sin's what you want to do. And everybody goes, uh, you just raised the bar a little higher than I'll ever be able to jump over it. Like I... I'm never going to get there. You see, that's the point. That's the point. Just, just listen. You want to know what I'm going to do about that now? In that moment where you realize, I'll never be good enough. I will never bridge this gap to prove myself to God. Uh, when it comes to the scales of justice, I'll never put enough good deeds on that scale to outweigh the bad. Like, it's just not going to happen. When you raise the bar that high, no way. No way. And in that moment, I could never fix it myself is the greatest moment of your life. And it's excruciatingly vulnerable because you go, I, I can't do this. And in that moment of excruciating vulnerability, when you say, I can't do it, I'm in trouble here, it's the moment that it's just that sense now, you want to know what I'm going to do about it? I'm going to die. I'm going to take all of your sin on me, and I'm going to die. And I'm going to set you free. And I'm going to offer you forgiveness, a new way to live. Forgives you. This way goes with the woman. It says, it says in the scripture that when Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, No, sir. And he says, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life to Forgives you. Now I don't know if you relate to that feeling of being caught, of being like, man, I am in trouble. I remember when I was a kid, um, I was at a neighbor, um, and that my neighbor friend, um, I, he just had a way of finding every, I'm going to blame this on him, it's not really his fault, I was deeply accountable for this, but together, we had a way of finding everything bad and doing, right? Whether, what, all kind of stuff, like, and I, 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 the stories are way too long to tell you all the stories, but I remember one time, my brother catching us. And I was like, oh man, I am going to be in so much trouble with my parents. I may never, I may not even survive, right? Like, like my dad is going to squash me like a bug. I, my life is over. I felt the weight of, my brother's like four years older than me. 
nasıl çok arkadaşlar sana tamam Now, had he told my mom and dad, you know what I would have done? I found after my punishment, I just found new ways to do it. Because he said, essentially, I don't think that such a freak. Don't do it again. You're not harmful. Don't do it again. I will always remember that moment. Some of you are coming this morning and you have that sense of stuff in my past I've been caught in and I feel guilty. I don't know what to do. I'm gonna do it. And Jesus saved me this morning. I already know what you did. And see, I love you. I mean, I died for it. I saw it and felt it and carried it on the cross. I don't want to set you free. And some of you are coming this morning and you're You're more like, you feel like you identify with those people in the crowd, too, right? Like, oh no, pretty good. You know, I'm not, not as bad as most. That's a pretty common theme in our culture. You ask them, like, you're a good or bad person. You're generally, most people in this culture not pretty good. But a pretty good person. And they can justify it. They can tell you about it. But Jesus would say, And for most, if, if you're like me, I've spent most of my life avoiding guilt. You know, I mean, guilt, guilt is, by the way, and Max Cato says this in his Before I Met book, this is what he says about guilt. He says that, uh, understand that guilt is God's idea. He uses it the way highway engineers use rumble strips. When we serve, swerve off track, they call us back. And guilt does the same. It leaves us more alive, more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate and more responsible. Guilt alerts us to the discrepancy between what we are and what God desires for us. See, that guilt is God-given. It's God-given. Sometimes we avoid it. I was on a mission trip a long time ago um, with the students uh, back in the day when uh, Pastor Rick was a student pastor at a church who planted our church, and uh, this church, and uh, Carmen Bates was also on that student ministry team. We, we took the students up, and we were in North Dakota, and North Dakota, they had these long cattle breaks, right? And they're like, like when you go over them in a vehicle, like, and it's, you know, like, eight to ten feet long. Well, Carmen hates rumble strips. She absolutely hates rumble If you ever had a car with Carmen, and you hit a rumble strip, she might punch you, like, in the yard, like, she just, she hates them. So they would actually stop the band, and Carmen would jump out, and she would run across the cattle brakes, and then the band would go across, and then she'd jump back in. And we all would laugh hysterically about this over and over and over again. This happened because there were all these places that we were going that had these cattle brakes. And so we had a great time with it on our trip. But I was, I was thinking about Max Cato's illustration of, like, rumble strips. And I was thinking about what it's like to be that person standing around going, pretty good that temptation to avoid guilt. We're a bit like that, right? Jumping out of the vehicle, at least I was most of my life, I've been jumping out of the vehicle to avoid guilt. This whole issue of forgiveness, I was like, oh, it's, it's good to be forgiven, but I don't like to be specific, God, so why don't you forgive me for everything I did and let, let, let's just call it a day, right? As opposed to being specific, because I don't like the feeling of guilt. Here's, here's the thing. Jesus offers us forgiveness. This is what he did with this woman offered her forgiveness before she found repentance. He offered her forgiveness first. 
He said, I, I know you feel guilty, all right? Forgiveness, as it turns out, is not like we get as a reward of repentance. It's actually the gate to repentance. It's because Jesus offers us forgiveness that we have hope. I, he'll forgive me. He loves me. I can actually come to him. No, I don't have my junk together. No, I haven't cleaned up everything yet. But I can come to him. And he says, I love you. I don't condemn you. Forgive me. I died for that. So that you can be free. And in doing so, I have hope. And I can say, because I have a new day with Jesus, I'm willing to repent. Repentance basically means giving up my agenda and following someone else's. It's Jesus. Say, I'm thinking of my agenda and I'm all his. He's raised back That's what Jesus offers us today. And so I want to make that offer to you this morning to come and to get forgiveness. To not avoid it. To not be overwhelmed by guilt because you think there's something that God can't forgive. He can and He has and He will if you'll just come. If you'll just be present with Him. And so, right on your outline this morning, there's a little prayer. And I'm I, and uh, I'm just going to come and I'm just going to play a little bit. And I just want to give you a few minutes to sit with God. To picture Jesus, just find yourself in the story. Are you part of the crowd seeing something written going, not so good? Are you a person caught in it? I'm afraid to bring this to God. Because whoever you are in the story, here's the thing that makes forgiveness so hard. It is excruciatingly saying to God, I need you. I can't do this. I need your help. My wife always says, to be vulnerable with God, to be vulnerable with God. So why don't you take a few minutes this morning to be vulnerable with God, so that he can be vulnerable with you, so that he can bless you. And if maybe it's your first time, you've never really approached God and said, God, I feel like I can't do it, and I need you. This is a great day. This is your day. You know, see, just, I need your forgiveness. I'm tired of doing this. I need your I want you. So just take a few minutes. And then I'll come back and pray over this. I'll give you more of the time.
us aware, built by your spirit, when we get the moments from this, let's say there's danger, there's harm ahead, so back away. It's not to avoid them, because God, you are gracious. You are gracious to us. You proved it when you went to the cross. While we were yet sinners, God, you offered us forgiveness before we were ready to ask. Still be one. Thank you. Thank you for offering me forgiveness. God, I need it. Help us better. Have the courage to confess to you. To know that you are a trustworthy Father. To know that Jesus has already made a way for us to be right. To free ourselves of our past to have a new day for our future. Help us to experience your love, God. It's not for the life of being condemned, but a life of freedom. A life of reality that we know where we are, that we're not just good, but that, God, you are so good that it goes where we're from, where we stay, so that we might be in a relationship with you and be empowered and love. Every day is a new day. I pray this to you. One of the greatest experiences of life at that moment that you say, uh, I now have confidence in you. No, that I can't forget. Because in doing something to be vulnerable with God, it opens us to something new, and that's called healing. And so this is the other thing that Jesus offered to others because they came and asked for help. So this morning, let's talk a little bit about I need healing. It's about coming to God and the story of what it means to come to God and and need some healing. So uh, this morning, uh, you know, as we, if you were to pick up your Bible and to read the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the stories of Jesus from four different perspectives, gives you a real insight into the what really happens, or eyewitness accounts, well-researched accounts of what happened in Jesus' life and what he said and how he interacted with people. <clears throat> One of the most surprising things might be for you is that part of Jesus' ministry on a regular great basis was healing. That it wasn't an isolated incident, like once in a while he would do it, like he would do it a lot. He seemed to like to do it. And then when he interacted with people, when they asked for his help, he interacted back. He didn't avoid them. He didn't ignore them. He said, I want to help. I want to help. So this was the point of his ministry. So in Matthew 20, we find a story. It's a story, and one more story of Jesus' healing. And so Jesus would have been, at this point, he, and by this time in his career, people would have known him. He would have been kind of famous. People would have liked to see him. You know, they, they want to hear him speak. They've heard of his miracles. Like, nobody in that area has never heard of Jesus at this point. Okay? Everybody knows who he is. He's kind of a celebrity, um, not by his own choosing, but just by the fact that, well, he is God. So that's kind of a big deal. And so as he walks on the earth, when God walks on the planet, it is kind of like everyone wants to be around him. So this is Jesus' ministry. And so as we pick up the story of Matthew chapter 20, verses 29, it says this. It's Jesus and his disciples, it's like there's his best friends, Buzz, and following him and learning from him. They're, they're leaving Jericho, and there's this large crowd who's following him. And there are two blind men sitting by the roadside. And then when they heard that Jesus is going by, they shouted, Lord! Son of David, have mercy on us. Now this, this term, 
Lord, Son of David. Lord meaning master, so they're recognizing that Jesus is master. They're also recognizing the Son of David, which means we recognize your right to rule. That's what they're really saying. was the king, and God promised that all ruling would come from in his line, and Jesus was in his line. So they're realizing, like, hey, we realize that you have authority to do these things, authority to heal. And so they shout, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd doesn't encourage say, hey, just over here, over And you would think that if you were with Jesus and you saw someone in need, you're like, dude, keep on healing them. You would think that as a crowd, you'd be like, Jesus, over here, there's two guys. Let's see it. I want to see it, right? Like, you want to be present for it. But what do they do? It's like the library. Shh. How many of you were, got shushed in the library a lot? Yeah, me too. All the time. It's, it's, it's terrible, right? Like, why do they around tables with other people and then not talk to them. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And so that this is the library moment, right? In the crowd, when there's these two guys shouting, Lord, you save me, like have mercy on me. And the crowd is going, shh, keep it down. He's got more important things to do. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. And they all shouted louder. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. So Jesus stopped, and he called them, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Like, it's probably people between them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want now? Okay, there's two blind guys sitting along the road. They can't see. They say, Lord, Jesus, have mercy on me. And the question that Jesus comes up with is, what do you want me to do for you? Uh... Jesus thought you were a little more intuitive than that, right? Like, we're blind, right? Like, so why does Jesus ask them this question, what do you want me to do for you? Why ask that question? And so they answered, they said, well, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them, and he touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight, and they followed him. He asks this question, what do you want me to do for you? Because see, we all have trouble asking And Jesus wants to know, are you willing to admit where you really need help? Are you willing to, to pull the band-aid off and say, you need help here? This is where it hurts. It wasn't for his benefit. He knew what they needed. But they needed to be able to say, I'm willing to come in complete vulnerability and say, here's where I need help. Hey, can you imagine if, like, when you approach Jesus, if we, if, if these blind guys were a little bit like us, like, I don't know if you've ever done this with God, but I, I, I'm guilty of this. Like, okay, hey, God, I need your help, and I'll tell God what I need his help with, and then I'll leave, and I'll go take care of it myself. Anybody ever, like, guilty of that? Like, Okay, well, God, I'm, I can't really wait around for you here, so I'm going to go ahead and start fixing this problem myself, or I'm going to continue to worry about the problem myself. Like, ever, ever do that? Or, how about this one? Like, I, I think I need God's help on this one. And then, you know, you, you start telling other people about, you think you need God's help with this one. But you never actually go to God and pull the Band-Aid off and say, God, I need your help. That's why. Because it's a little scarier to be vulnerable. It's a little 
intimidated to that moment to say, here's where I need help. What's God going to do? So I just lift I just keep going on. I guess I'll just live with this. That's not who Jesus is. Every situation that we see, anytime someone said, I, I need your help, Jesus, did Jesus walk away? Like, this is not who Jesus is. I mean, these are a real story. Jesus doesn't walk away from it. Jesus always walks towards it. He always walks towards our pain. He always walks towards us in vulnerability and says, I'm here. What do you want? What, not, not just even, what do you need? What do you want? Ask me. Ask me for what you want. Jesus loved to heal. He loved to be healed. And in fact, you know, if you look back, you rewound the tape like, like 800 or 1,000 years, you would find some passages in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament written much, much earlier in which Isaiah the prophet laid out the plan for Jesus' ministry that he would be a healer. And Matthew actually quotes it in chapter 8 of the same book where he says, listen, when it comes to healing, he says in verse 8, chapter 8, verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that he took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. In other words, many of you would probably, you would say, that, oh, you know what, I have asked Jesus for forgiveness. I've actually trusted him with the fact that I can't make it to God without him. And so I said, you know what, Jesus? I'm giving up my way. Now, I want your way. I've realized that what you did on the cross for me was to fulfill a break between me and God. So I want that. I desire that. I realize everything you do is a little bit better than what I do. I'm tired of doing it my way. I want like the forgiveness and I'd like the mercy. A lot of you have done that. You trusted your soul to God. But according to Scripture, Jesus also invites us to trust our bodies. To say, listen, it's not just my spirit, my soul, it's also my body. Now, I don't know about you, but this, I might just be an odd one out. But trusting my body to God somehow feels even more vulnerable. Like, trusting God with my Things I know, I can't do that. I just felt like it's been evident in my life I'm not good enough. So God, I'm willing to trust you with that. It's been evident that his way has been better than my life. I'm willing to trust him with that. But say, God, with the sickness, with this infirmity, with this thing that's wrong in my life, can I trust you with that? Like, it's more vulnerable. What if he doesn't respond? What if, what if he says no? What if he says wait? What if nothing happens? What's that mean? And I, in the tradition that I grew up in, when it came to this healing, um, well, there, I just didn't think it existed. I mean, that's just my honest, that was just my honest assumptions, right? I mean, at churches my parents took me to, they, they didn't believe in it. Uh, the only exposure I had to it early before I really came to Christ was the guy who said, now put your hand up to the screen, sure, someone out there has a backache, put your hand to the screen, I'm about to heal, right? Like, anybody seen that guy, right? Like, am I just the old guy in the room who remembers that guy? Because I just was like, okay, that seems the most fake. Someone has a backache? Yeah, I guess they do. Like, you know, that, that's what you just included half of America with that statement. So I just, I didn't know what to do with it. And so often I was sarcastic, and I, I am a mathematician and scientist by like, my nature, and so I, I can be cynical, like, it's got to be proven. And then I remember going on my first missions trip. 
Um, and uh, I remember a woman on an Indian reservation who was needed to kill And the guys there, they, they fortunately didn't have the same opinion to me. And at that point, I had come to Christ, but this was still a little crazy. And they, they didn't have that same experience, so they just gathered around. They anointed her, and they prayed for her. And they prayed for her, and they prayed for her. Now, I've gotten to have a little conversation about what he was allowed to do and not allowed to do after that. Like, like, wait, 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 wait. What just happened here? And since that time, I have seen people heal over it. And, and no one has it put their hand up the TV, and I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I'm just saying that it doesn't have to happen that way. It can just be simple obedience. In fact, in James, it says that we can just bring, if we're sick, we just call our elders, say, listen, we confess my sins, we'll be right to God and we want him to heal. We want to trust our lives with him, and they will anoint us with oil to live in that field. So it says in James 1. There's nothing complicated about it except for the fact that it requires vulnerability. It requires us to say, we God, we trust you. Now, sometimes, though, there are other cases, times in our life where we pray for healing. I remember when um, my wife's Aunt Joy had a stroke, and it was a bracelet stroke, and she and she was a huge part of our daybreak family at the time. That was probably what, eight or ten years ago. So we prayed. We anointed her. We prayed for healing. She did that. But what she did, what we did, is that we can trust the body to your care. So whether you heal her or you heal her there. We know that you are good enough to make that decision. And this is not about our faith. This is about your divine goodness. Your power to do it, your desire to do it, and your goodness to see over the long haul. So that's why we pray that's what we're doing. So we're going to give you that opportunity this morning to help and ask God to heal. And it's not just physical healing that also emotional. Remember a few, probably about six or seven years ago, someone offered that and I've walked through a process and some of the most painful parts of my past. God touched me for the first time. I was able to see God the Father as not angry and judgmental. God was able to heal me of some relationships with my own father in the past and it reconciled our relationship. And it was miraculous and it was real. And I can tell you, like, it was real because, like, if you ask my parents, they'd be like, you're a different guy now. Like, you're a different guy the way you interact with us. I'm a different guy the way I interact with God. And so it, it's, it's what it says in Psalm 147, which is that he heals the brokenhearted and he banishes their wounds. He wants to heal. Jesus is desperate often to heal. Say, will you trust yourself to me? And that's what we're inviting you to do this Say, just like the prayer in their outline says, Father, I need you to have mercy. I need heal. I need heal from. I need to trust him. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to offer you two ways to respond. The band's going to come and they're going to play. And uh, during this song, I want to offer you the opportunity anytime during this song just to say, if you go, I need help. I need help. And you want someone to pray with you? 
and it might be like that. I am not really I'm unconvinced of forgiveness in my life that I need someone to pray with. Might be I need to, I just need to tell someone about it. I just need to get this off my chest and I'm just totally confidential. It might be that you say, I, I need healing this morning. There's this thing that in my body that I need to trust with God this morning. And just the act, even whether God heals me now, heals me later, heals me in heaven, the act of me saying, God, I'm willing to trust you with my body is the one I need to make this morning. We'll be back there. Our elders, and I'll go back there as well. I should go back there too, don't you? To trust, help you trust God by this morning. Or if you just say, I need I just need someone to pray for me. Here's my issues. Please pray for me. Some of you may have been avoiding that. You're like, I don't know if God wants to really do that for me. I've been avoiding that. I, I just have trouble asking for help. So here's what I would say to this God is gracious. If there's one thing that Jesus proved to us over and over is that he wants to give you this. All you gotta do is ask. All you gotta do is ask. Stand up to those back down before you ask. Someone come alongside you. So during this next song, Lord, I need drop to you to respond. Say, I want something. Help come alongside me. Ask that Jesus come back. Oh, mm-hmm. 